Genesis chapter 5. We're going to read verses 1 to 8. This is the book of the generations of Adam. When God created man, he made him in the likeness of God. Male and female, he created them, and he blessed them and named them man when they were created. When Adam had lived 130 years, he fathered a son in his own likeness after his image and named him Seth. The days of Adam after he fathered Seth were 800 years, and he had other sons and daughters. Thus all the days that Adam lived were 930 years, and he died. When Seth had lived 105 years, he fathered Enosh. Seth lived after he had fathered after he fathered Enosh 807 years and had other sons and daughters. Thus all the days of Seth were 912 years and he died. Let's pray together before we receive God's word. Father, please speak to us through your word in a way that we can receive and understand and be changed by. There's a lot of challenges for us as we approach your word this morning. It's an ancient text, culturally thousands of years removed from us, and then we have our minds all full of our own modern, current, real-time concerns, and and we're in danger of distraction and uh, just not paying attention to your word. We're in danger of reading into your word what we hope to see in there, what we think we will see in there. I just ask that you would help us to be humble and receptive and pliable in your hands this morning, and that this would be a fruitful and eternally beneficial time for us. In Jesus' name, amen. So we're returning to the passage that we began last week, and this is a true part two uh, from last week's part one. So I'm not really going to review a ton from last week. Uh, You can listen to it if you weren't here. Uh, It's available online. But we're moving through Genesis this fall. We're in chapter five. And before we get into it, I'll ask you a question, and this will kind of get our minds uh, maybe in the right frame to receive the passage this morning. Um, last week we, we looked at just the introductory two verses of chapter 5, and we remember the fact that we are God's creatures. God is the creator, and he created us. He created each one of you. But as good as his creation is, it's compromised by sin and the fall. And so we're creatures living in a cursed world. And so the question is, to frame your mind as we approach this passage is, how is it going for you these days as a creature of God in a cursed world? Just something for you to be thinking about as we move along this passage. How is it going for you these days as a creature of God in a sin-cursed world? I told you last week that we would approach chapter 5 in three sections, the introduction, the genealogy, and then one I just called hope. And we did the introduction last week, so this week we're going to begin with the genealogy. And there is much that could be said about this genealogy. Um, But as I prepare for this Sunday, it occurred to me that much of what 
I might say about the genealogy would be probably better suited for a Bible study or a Sunday school class, more of a lecture perhaps, than this Sunday's sermon. So we'll look maybe at a lot of that another time. Uh, there's, there's elements of this that are really interesting in terms of how they correspond and parallel with other genealogies. Uh, there's elements of this that are interesting when you look at the structure of Genesis and where this fits in there. Uh, there's, there's interesting elements of it when you just sort of comb through the genealogy about the lengths of life and the implications of how long these people lived and what that means in terms of being fruitful and multiplying. I mean, imagine how many children you might have if, if you lived to be 900 years old and all of that you, you physically were capable of having children. And then your children lived almost a thousand years. Imagine how rapidly the multiplication must have happened back then. But already I'm getting down the, the route I decided not to go. So we could talk about that other times. But For this morning, as we look at the genealogy of, of Genesis chapter 5, I just want to point out sort of the main thing that I think stands out and, and perhaps one of the main things that the Lord means for us to get when we read this section of his word. Now remember, when you look at a genealogy, there's um, various reasons why it's profitable for us. We talked about last week, it grounds our theology and history, and our understanding of history and theology. It establishes continuity during long stretches of time. It establishes the identity and legitimacy of individuals, in this case Noah, who comes at the very end. And most importantly, it helps us to follow the promised seed of Eve, that God promised there would be a child born that is going to crush the serpent. And it's sort of the first telling of the gospel. All those things are, are present here, uh, but we can't follow all those strands. What we're going to look at here is just the fact that in this genealogy, this is Seth's genealogy. We talked about Cain a couple weeks ago, but what sets Seth's lineage apart from Cain's is that with his line, his lineage, people began to call on the name of the Lord. People began to call upon the name of the Lord, and as we'll see, they walked with God. So those are kind of the two big ideas of the genealogy. People calling upon the name of the Lord, people walking with God. So first, if you'll back up one verse into chapter 4, chapter 4, verse 26, after we read the story of Cain and Abel, we get to Seth, and it says, to Seth also a son was born, and he called his name Enosh. At that time, people began to call upon the name of the Lord. To call upon the name of the Lord. That's a significant phrase. It, um, if you trace it through the Old or New Testaments, it has the idea of intentionally and worshipfully and actively depending on the Lord intentionally and worshipfully and actively depending on the Lord, calling upon the name of the Lord. In the Old Testament, as we go through Genesis, we'll see Abraham do this at several points. He'll build an altar and call upon the name of the Lord. And then in the New Testament, we see it, but focus on the Lord Jesus Christ. And I'll just read to you a couple of examples. First, Romans 10, verse 13, a famous one, says, for everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. And then a couple pages over in 1 Corinthians 1, verse 2, Paul's addressing this letter to Christians, and he says, 
to the church of God that is in Corinth, to those sanctified in Christ Jesus, called to be saints together, with all those who in every place call upon the name of our Lord, Jesus Christ, both their Lord and ours. It's a picture of a child calling upon his father. You know, if you were around me and my children during an average span of time that we're together, when I'm driving them to school or when we're at home, the, the word I hear the most of all the words, and there's plenty of words when you're around the Broadway kids, of all the words, the one that you'll hear the most if I'm around them is dad. Dad, 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 can I do this? Dad, 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 did you know this? Dad, 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 did you see this? Dad, I want to tell you about this. Dad, can I eat this? Children naturally just call upon the name of their fathers, their mothers. If you're around them with Meredith, it'd be Meredith, Meredith, Meredith. That's the picture of how we're meant to live as creatures of the Creator. We're designed to call upon Him like a child calls upon his father. Seth's lineage is set apart from Cain's in that his people call upon the name of the Lord. The other thing we notice is that his people walk with God. Now, we won't read the entire genealogy, but I do want to read to you the bit that starts at verse 21, where we meet a second Enoch. Okay, so several weeks ago when we studied Cain and Abel, we saw Cain's genealogy and his lineage, and he had a son named Enoch. Well, lo and behold, here in Seth's genealogy, there's another Enoch. Now, I don't think that's a completely random thing. I think that whenever you see in genealogies, there's a pattern, there's a clear pattern in here. And whenever you see aberrations from that pattern, I think it's meant for you to take notice. And here at Enoch, the seventh generation from Adam, it deviates from the pattern that's set with each of the other genealogical verses. And let's just read what it says. Genesis chapter 5, verse 21. When Enoch had lived 65 years... He fathered Methuselah. Enoch walked with God after he fathered Methuselah 300 years and had other sons and daughters. Thus all the days of Enoch were 365 years. Enoch walked with God and he was not, for God took him. Now all the other genealogies say how long the father lived before they had the notable son, how long the father lived after having the notable son, whether or not he had more children, and the total years of life for the father. But with Enoch, it's different. It doesn't say all the years that he lived before having a notable son. It says all the years that he walked with God before having the notable son. And then at the end, every other genealogy here, every other person, it says, and he died. Because now that we're living in a cursed world, people die. But not with Enoch. With Enoch, at the very end, in verse 24, it says, Enoch walked with God, and he was not, for God took him. Now that is fascinating. What does that mean? Enoch walked with God, and he was not, for God took him. He didn't die the way the others did. And I can't tell you what that means. The Bible doesn't explain what that means. And in none of the passages of Scripture that explains the afterlife do they refer to Enoch for guidance and illumination on it. So I don't know. 
I will tell you one brief side note, Advent Christians, um, some of you are more aware and serious about this than others, but the Advent Christian understanding of the afterlife right after one dies is that they fall asleep until Jesus Christ returns and all go to judgment at the same time. The dead rise and we all are judged at once. And, and right in the meantime, Jesus has gone to prepare a place for us. Uh, some of you are familiar with these ideas. One note based on Enoch is, let's be real humble about our attempts to understand what happens immediately after death. We have some clues. We have some good ideas scripturally. But then you see something like this. Enoch was not, for God took him. Where's Enoch right now? I don't know. I I think what is going to happen is going to be so much more glorious than, than our formulations that we'll all be shocked. So that's just a side note. That's another thing we could go into. But but really, God didn't give us much to dig into here. He just sort of says it. And so we just receive it. Somehow or another, Enoch walked with God, and then he was not, for God took him. If you think you're confused, think about Enoch's buddies who maybe were like right beside him when it happened. Having a conversation. Yeah, what do you think about that, Enoch? Where did he go? Who knows? God took him. What we do know is that he walked with God. I think that connects with the idea in chapter 426 that these, these were people who called upon the name of the Lord. Enoch, one in this lineage, was one who walked with God. So calling upon the name of the Lord, if you trace that phrase through the Bible, you'll see that it's sort of a, a, a formal expression almost. It has to do with sort of formal worship of God, worship of the Lord. Walking with God is a more informal notion. It has to do with just lifestyle. It's just how you, how one lives. The way one walks is how one lives, scripturally. It has the idea of intentionally, worshipfully, actively being close to God. Intentionally, worshipfully, actively seeking closeness with God. Now you can contrast that with the Enoch of Cain's lineage. All we know about him is that he was Cain's son and Cain built a city and named it after him. You can see that over in chapter 4, verse 17. But what we know about the Enoch of Seth's lineage is that he walked with God. Now, luckily, we don't have to speculate as to what this means because God revealed in the New Testament some more details about this with Enoch. So we'll go to Hebrews chapter 11, verse 5. Hebrews chapter 11, verses 5 and 6 share a little bit more of Enoch's story. It says, By faith, Enoch was taken up so that he should not see death. And he was not found because God had taken him. Now, before he was taken, he was commended as having pleased God. And without faith, it is impossible to please God. For whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. So here, as we try to think about what does it mean to walk with God, specifically with the example of Enoch, we're given additional revelation in Hebrews that it had to do with faith, and it had to do with the kind of faith that drove Enoch to draw near to God and to seek him. Now, there's all kinds of different ways to believe in God. 
You'll meet any number of people out there who would say, I believe in God. But not all of those people believe in God in such a way that they try to draw near to him and seek him. The Bible teaches that even the demons believe in God, and they shudder. But Enoch's faith, Enoch's belief, was the kind that led him to draw near to God and to seek him. That's what walking with God looks like. Drawing near to him, seeking him, through faith, and thus pleasing him. When we talked about calling upon the name of God, we said it's, it's the image of a child calling upon his father. When we talk about walking with God, it's the image of a child who's just always underfoot. Any of you ever have kids or grandkids who are just always all on you? They can't get close enough to you. When you sit on the couch, they are going to sit on top of you. When you're in the kitchen trying to get things done, they're going to be all under your legs. This is a natural innate thing for children with their parents, and it's a natural innate thing for creatures with their creator. So you're designed for this. You're designed to call upon the name of the Lord and to walk with God, to prayerfully depend on him, and to, through faith, draw near to him and seek him. Now, as we contrast Cain and his lineage with Seth and his lineage, we see emerge a contrast that remains today. From, from this early beginning, there have been people who just accept the curse and build their lifestyles based on it. They accept the fact that because of sin, they're separated from God and their lives are temporary um, experiences of just this world only. And they just embrace it, and that's how they live. That's how Cain was. That's how his lineage was. He built a city. They had careers. They worked. If you remember his lineage, it told what kind of work all his people did. And that's it. That's what they're known for. Seth, on the other hand, what his people are known for is calling upon the Lord, the name of the Lord, and walking with God. Cainites exist today. Cain's lineage is still alive and well. And it's a people who accept their fate as separate from God and live godless lives, consumed with cities and careers. And Sethites, Seth's people, are alive and well today. People who are known for their relationship and closeness with the Lord. You know, one day... Because of the curse, we will die unless Jesus returns first. Everybody in here ends with, and he died, and he died, and he died, and one day that'll be the end of your story and my story if Jesus doesn't return first. What will you be known for? Will you be known as one who called upon the name of the Lord? Will you be known as one who walked with God? Or will you be known as one who did this career or that career? this kind of work or that kind of work, only. Now, it's not as though the Seth people didn't work. They certainly did, and that gets us to our last point, the hope. And this is where we'll land. There were two Enochs, one of Cain's line and one of Seth's lines. There were also two Lamechs, one of Cain's line and one of Seth's line. First, let me refresh your memory of the Lamech of Cain. 
in chapter 4, verse 23, Lamech said to his wives, Ada and Zillah, hear my voice. You wives of Lamech, listen to what I say. I have killed a man for wounding me, a young man for striking me. If Cain's revenge is sevenfold, then Lamech's is seventy-sevenfold. Basically, he's presumptuous and vengeful and godless, and he doesn't care. Now contrast that with the Lamech of Seth's line in chapter 5, verse 28. When Lamech had lived 182 years, he fathered a son and called his name Noah, saying, Out of the ground that the Lord has cursed, this one shall bring us relief from our work and from the painful toil of our hands. Lamech lived after he fathered Noah 595 years and had other sons and daughters, Thus all the days of Lamech were 777 years, and he died. After Noah was 500 years old, Noah fathered Shem, Ham, and Japheth. So Cain's Lamech, vengeful and presumptuous and godless. Seth's Lamech, hoping in a son to be born in Seth's line for relief from the curse. Now we've mentioned the curse several times. I wonder if you remember from Genesis chapter 3, when God pronounced the judgment and the consequences for sin that Adam and Eve committed. I'll read it to you because it's important for us in understanding this. Genesis 3, beginning at verse 16. To the woman, God said, I will surely multiply your pain in childbearing. In pain you shall bring forth children. Your desire shall be for your husband, and he shall rule over you. So here the consequences of sin and the curse enter into the family life, to the, the being fruitful and multiplying that God designed humanity to do. Childbirth is going to be painful. Parenting is going to be complicated. Marriage is going to be complicated. Verse 17, And to Adam he said, Because you have listened to the voice of your wife and have eaten of the tree of which I commanded you, you shall not eat of it. Curse is the ground because of you. In pain you shall eat of it all the days of your life. Thorns and thistles it shall bring forth for you, and you shall eat the plants of the field by the sweat of your face. I'm sorry, by the sweat of your face you shall eat bread, till you return to the ground, for out of it you were taken, for you are dust, and to dust you shall return. Childbirth, parenting, marriage, and now as he turns to Adam, work. Work is going to be hard. It's going to be toil. It's going to be painful. It's going to be by the sweat of your brow, bleeding from thorns and thistles, that you will provide food for yourself and your family from now on. The ground is cursed. And then, ultimately, your life here on this earth is now going to be temporary, and you're going to return to dust. It's a bleak, hopeless picture. Now, the Canaanites just embrace this is how it is, and they live that way. The Sethites continually go against the current, seeking closeness with God, even in the midst of the curse. Now, we feel the curse today. It's a long time removed from what we're reading here. But you feel the curse in your life, don't you? I guarantee some of the sharpest and most difficult pain that everybody in here has experienced in this world has come through the avenues of childbirth, parenting, marriage, work, and the matters of the end of life, death. 
I guarantee that's where the majority of the pain experienced in this room has come from through some of those angles. Family stuff, work stuff, death stuff. And these are central to what we are as human beings. Remember, God created mankind to be fruitful and multiply, be marrying, having children, having families, and to subdue and have dominion over creation, working, cultivating. And here's where the curse strikes hardest. Here's where we feel most acutely our desire for relief. That's what Lamech says when Noah is born back in Genesis 5, verse 29. Out of the ground that the Lord has cursed, this one shall bring us relief. Relief. Relief from our work and from the painful toil of our hands. Now, let's just focus on work. That's what Lamech's focused on. I don't know what he did. I don't know what kind of work he was in, but it, it was, sounds hard. You, know, you don't talk to very many people and you ask about their work and they're like, man, it's easy. It's so easy. I don't have to lift a finger and I make billions of dollars. It's fun and easy, easy and fun. I love it, love it, love it. Every once in a while you meet somebody like that and I'm always suspicious. Usually it's toil and it's pain. It's painful. There, maybe you feel called to it and you have a lot of fulfillment in it and you want to do it because you are made in God's image to work. But at the same time, there's all these thorns and thistles. There's all these reasons why it's complicated, all these reasons why it's frustrating, all these reasons why it seems like you take one step forward and two backwards. It's because of the curse. So in in your experience with this, what do you look to for hope? Maybe you're experiencing it right now. Your work is just extremely painful. What do you look to for hope in that? What have you in the past looked to for hope? I know somebody that it was just retirement, hated his work every day of it, eight, nine, ten hours a day, you know, the, the majority of his life poured into work, but he had given up on that being fulfilling or meaningful at just looking for retirement out on the horizon. That's what the hope was in retirement. Others, it's got to be closer. It's just vacation is coming. I'm going to get a break for a week, but then I have to go right back to it. Some, sometimes it's a change. We feel like, okay, if I just get out of this the whole career, if I just leave all this and get into this, then I'll have relief, only to find thorns and thistles there too. Pain and sweat there too. Now, Lamech did look to retirement. Here he is, 182 years old when Noah was born, not looking to retire just yet, apparently but looking for relief from the curse, specifically its effect on work. And he is looking for relief in the birth of a son, in the lineage of Adam, in the lineage of Seth. Perhaps he remembered what we talked about last week, that God's move in human history was not to interject a plan or a pill, but a person. It was not to interject a method or a machine or a technology, but a man. Someone was going to be born of Eve that was going to crush the serpent's head. And we see this promise of a son through this lineage over and over again to Abraham, a son that would be a blessing to all the nations. We see it echoed through the prophets. In Isaiah, the the verse we look at most Christmases, that unto you a son is going to be born. Lamech thought that Noah perhaps would bring relief 
And we'll talk about it more in weeks to come. There's some sense in which he did. But ultimately, he was not the fulfillment of this hope for relief. A son from Seth's line would be born who would bring relief from the curse to those who call upon the name of the Lord. And his name would be Jesus Christ. Now, I want to call your attention here as we land the plane to another genealogy, this time in Luke chapter 3, verses 23 through 38. Luke chapter 3, beginning of verse 23, begins the genealogy of Jesus. It starts like this. Jesus, when he began his ministry, was about 30 years of age, being the son, as was supposed, of Joseph, the son of Heli. And then it goes on from verse 24 on. Heli, the son of Methat, the son of, the son of, the son of, keeps going through the genealogy, tracing it back generations after Jesus, the sons of these fathers on down. Toward the end of it, you start to recognize some names. Verse 31, son of David, the son of Jesse, the son of Obed, the son of Boaz. Keep tracing down, you see some more names you recognize. Verse 33, the son of Judah, the son of Jacob, the son of Isaac, the son of Abraham. Keep tracing down, verse 36, the son of Canaan, the son of Arphaxad, the son of Shem, the son of Noah, the son of Lamech, the son of Methuselah, the son of Enoch, the son of Jared, the son of Mahalalil, the son of Canaan, the son of Enos, the son of Seth, the son of Adam, the son of God. So what we're witnessing here in Genesis 5 is the progress from the curse to the Savior. Going through the line of Adam, through the line of Seth, now to Noah, and it would continue, and they would wait, and they would wait, and they would wait. Generations of God people, God's people would continue to wait for the Son to be born who would bring the ultimate relief from the curse. And finally, he was born, Jesus Christ. Now, we began the sermon, how's it going for you as creatures in a cursed world. How's it going for you these days as creatures of God in a world cursed by sin? And as you think about that in light of these things, I just want to remind you of who you are. You're created to call upon the name of the Lord. You're created to walk with God. And in this cursed world where we experience the pain of associated with childbirth and parenting and marriage and work and death itself. There is hope in the Son, Jesus Christ. And as you look to temporary hopes and short-term hopes and temporary relief and short-term relief, and those are helpful sometimes, but inevitably come up lacking. They inevitably leave you still longing for a deeper relief with a capital R, relief know that that relief is found only in Jesus Christ. Let the pain that you're experiencing now point you to Jesus Christ. Let the pain that you will experience in the weeks, the months to come, point you to Jesus Christ. And I'll end with a couple of questions, and then we'll close in prayer. Do you look to Jesus as your ultimate hope? Are you calling upon the name of the Lord? Are you walking with God? 
are you by faith drawing near to him? Are you by faith seeking him? Let's pray. Father, may these things be true of us. Lord, we acknowledge, just like Lamech did, that we are living in the world under the curse. Lord, help us to frame our expectations accordingly and not think that we are going to find perfect relief in this world. Let us not be surprised when the thorns and thistles prick our fingers. Please let us not be surprised when matters of childbirth and parenting and marriage become complicated and difficult. Please let us not be surprised when we age and our bodies begin to deteriorate and we face death or the death of our loved ones. But in all these things, let us abound in a deeper hope and a deeper joy and a deeper peace as we look to Jesus Christ, the author and perfecter of our faith, in whose name we pray. Amen.